You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome back, everybody. This is our number two of FanRag Fantasy Baseball, your Sunday edition. It was a very, very eventful first hour. We saw Yonder Alonso traded in the earlier part of the first hour from the A's to the Mariners for outfield Luke Powell. We also saw the Mariners uh, acquire Ryan Garten and uh, a second player. I honestly don't remember off the top of my head. Garten was the only uh, player with major league experience involved in that deal and a couple of prospects going back uh, to the Rays. So a busy hour here on FanRag Fantasy Baseball and a busy hour for Jerry DePoto. Although I'm guessing he probably maybe laid some groundwork for those deals before the last hour, just going out on a limb with that. Anyhow, I'm Al Melkier. I'm your host of this show, and I have another news update for you. One of the uh, other things that happened in the first hour, very early on in Sunday's action, uh, Domingo Santana was hit on the right wrist by a Chris Archer pitch. And now I have from Adam McCalvey of MLB.com saying that Santana has been diagnosed with a bruise, uh, a bruised right wrist. McCalvey also tweets, no word on x-rays, but bruised sounds like promising news. Have to absolutely agree with that. Um, so I'm not sure. Uh, it, sa- it sounds like he's implying that uh, x-rays were done, and that's how they were able to determine it was a bruise. If I get any more clarification on that, I'll certainly pass it along. But I have to say right now, that sounds like the best news we could possibly have uh, in regard to Domingo Santana. I would also guess he's going to be pretty sketchy to start for the coming week. But again, the, the if you want to you know look at the silver lining at the, the glass half full with Santana going out, that Travis Shaw came back into that game, so that certainly makes Shaw look much better as a uh, as an option for week 19. So, so there's that. Um, anyhow, we got a lot uh, coming in the second hour. I spent a lot of time on pitchers, almost exclusively on pitchers in the first hour, because there were so many interesting performances, a lot of great performances. Uh, the Danny Salazar 12 K performance, Mike fulton getting 11 Ks against the Marlins, breaking those down. Uh, but a few hitters, that deserve our attention. And one of those is David Peralta. He had one of the better performances on Saturday. Uh, and he is back in the Diamondbacks lineup. That one just came out recently against the Giants. Peralta back in there in the leadoff spot. I'm going to talk about, uh, after uh, the upcoming break, talk about uh, how hitting a leadoff for the Diamondbacks is really giving Peralta some nice value this year. Um so uh, he is in there yet again for the Diamondbacks. And uh, also a little bit later on the show, going to take a look ahead, a, a more in-depth look ahead to Week 19, go over a few sort of difficult two-star pitchers to tease out. Some two-star pitchers that give us some dilemmas, take, take a look at the impact that the schedule will have. So a lot yet to come in the second hour of FanRack Fantasy Baseball. Please don't miss any of it. I promise you I'm going to be right back.
quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, deep sleepers, training camp battles. These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. Get the Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package now at RotoExperts.com. Enter free radio at checkout for your special discount. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to FanRack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and uh, like I uh, had said, uh, just the uh, opening segment of this hour, the first hour was very, very eventful with the uh, couple of trades that the Mariners swung, the big one, of course, being the Yonder Alonzo trade. Uh, I whiffed, however, on the other player they got uh, in the Ryan Garten deal, uh, Garten, uh, right-handed reliever uh, coming over from the Rays. They're also getting catcher Mike Marjama so that was uh the one that I could not uh could not recall uh but uh the two prospects and, and <laughs> I hate to to even get to the names because I know that I'm just going to butcher these uh but uh left-handed pitcher Anthony Mizluich and infielder Luis Rengifo there's also a player to be named later uh going uh going back to uh, to the Rays. But um, in trading Garten and Marjama, the, the Rays opened up a couple of spots on the 40-man roster. Uh, and unfortunately, I lost the, the during the break. I saw somebody tweet that out, and I've lost the, the tweet, so I can't uh, give uh, credit where credit is due. But um, the, basically, who the person who was tweeting that, and here it is, it's from uh, at Prospects365. Uh, they're basically hinting that maybe that means that Brent Honeywell is coming up. I have not been able to see anything else uh, regarding an impending uh, Honeywell uh, promotion, but um, you know that that's something that's going to play itself out. And I do expect that Honeywell would be up at some point uh, this season. The question is: Is it going to be you know this week, or is it going to be you know maybe closer to September? And Roger Mooney of the Tampa Bay Times also tweeted that the Rays will need some uh, 40-man roster spots for players uh, coming off of the 60-day DL. So it's uh, hard for, uh, or long, I should say, from a slam dunk that uh, Honeywell, that's a signal that Honeywell is coming up. But it is an interesting angle and at least gives you some idea of maybe where the Rays' uh, incentive was to trade Garten uh, to, to the Mariners. So, uh, that's really some pretty serious collateral potential collateral fallout there going from, uh, Ryan Garten to Brent Honeywell, but, uh, not a whole lot that's definitive there. Uh, let's get to a few of the standout hitter performances. I kind of had to dig for these because there were a lot of pitchers duels and frankly, the few hitters that really made a lot of noise on Saturday, you know, they're they're hitters that uh, I don't really feel the feel the need to talk about. Um, you know, Freddie Freeman, John Carlos Stanton. Uh, the, you know, we know that they are must starts in every possible format. You're you know four team mixed league. <laughs> You're going to start those guys. But if we dig a little deeper. David Peralta is an interesting one. 
because he's always just seems to be on the fringe of consideration for like a five outfielder league. Not hitting really with all that much power this year, but he had a three hit game against the Giants on Saturday, hit his 22nd double of the year. But that takes his batting average up to 304, and Peralta has now scored 60 runs this season. Uh, the Diamondbacks, a much better offensive team this year than they were last year. Uh, Peralta pretty firmly ensconced now as the team's leadoff hitter. I mean, that's pretty nice for a guy who does hit for average and uh, you know could, could spray, spray the ball around the field with the best of them. He could score a lot of runs. I mean, he already has scored a lot of runs, and he's been playing pretty regularly against lefties. That's a really key difference because even when Peralta's been a, a better power source, when he's hit more towards the middle of the lineup, the knock has always been, well, he's probably not going to play much against lefties, and if he does, he's probably just going to hurt himself in terms of his uh, batting average and, and his overall ratios by playing against lefties. But so far this year, Peralta's batting 270 against lefties, as I just mentioned. He's playing much more frequently against them lately. And his strikeout rate, which the uh, last couple seasons was uh, up in the, the upper 20% somewhere, this season so far 15%. So he's really improved against lefties. That's a key, key thing for David Peralta. Uh, not As a leadoff hitter, he's not going to score a lot. He's, he's going to be only you know moderately helpful in terms of home run power. But he's going to hit for average, and he's probably going to score a ton of runs from here on out. So that is really something to consider if you need to fill an outfield slot, especially in a five-team uh, five or, or a five-outfielder league, rather, in a 12-team league. So Peralta is, uh, really could be an impact player down the stretch. Now, a few players who are definitely deep league options, two of whom, though, I've barely talked about on this show. In fact, maybe not talked about at all this season. Dusty Coleman is a 30-year-old journeyman but he's off to a heck of a start with the Padres. Uh, he's now 7-for-21 this year on the heels of a 3-for-4 performance on Saturday against the Pirates. And he hit his third home run. So 21 at-bats, already has three home runs. And you might say, well, he's a 30-year-old guy who's never been much of a hitter, really, of any sort. Been much better known for his glove and his versatility. Coleman uh, at AAA this year, not exactly young for the circuit, to be sure, as a 30-year-old. He's not even young for the major leagues. <laughs> he hit only 209, but he did get hit 14 home runs and steal 11 bases. So, again, for deep leagues, and really we're talking NL only, uh, that's really something to, to keep in mind. Could help you in a couple of couple of categories there. Tyler White, on the other hand, a uh, little bit more appeal than Dusty Coleman, also a lot younger. Spent a good amount of time up with the Astros last season. Some really good minor league numbers, uh, but just couldn't quite make it translate. Got off to a really hard, hot start, if you remember. Last April was great for about two weeks and then really hit the skids and got sent back down. Uh, so White is back up with the Astros. He's having an opportunity to play, uh, this is really collateral fallout from the Carlos Correa injury because initially A.J. Hitch did the predictable thing, which is he just took Marwin Gonzalez and plugged him in as, as the regular shortstop. But more recently, 
it's been White filling that hole with a, a little bit of musical chairs with Alex Bregman moving over to short, Yuli, uh, Yuli uh, Guriel uh, moving across the diamond from first to third, and White plays third too. So I'm guessing it's just a matter of maybe defensive preference to have uh, Guriel over at third base. But Tyler White filling in at first base, and so far he is 9 for 29. That's a 310 batting average with three home runs. That third home run came on Saturday against the Blue Jays. Now, White is not in the starting lineup for the Astros today uh, against the Blue Jays. Uh, So you're back to Marlon Gonzalez at short, Gurriel at first, Bregman at third. So uh, certainly Hinch has the luxury of shifting guys around. He's got the... uh, Kind of the standard lineup he's been playing with George Springer out, which is Fisher and left, Marisnik in center, Reddick in right. And uh, I will check up on, on George Springer for you because last I looked, he might be back this coming week. Uh, but you need and deserve a, a, a fresh update on George Springer there. That would certainly, I would think, would probably affect Jake Marisnik, who's been swinging a very hot bat. Um, but with the alignment that Hinch has been using more often lately, it does give Tyler White uh, some some deep league uh, appeal with uh, some power hitting in a, a really good lineup. And the really amazing thing, I discovered this in writing the Sunday Streamers column for FanRag Sports, which is up now, but uh, probably a little, little dated for you uh, unless you have a rolling lineup block. But um, talking about how the Astros, in terms of uh, uh, Marcus Stroman, Pitching today, not really a, uh, a, a much of an easier matchup with Springer and Correa out, as crazy as that sounds. Over the last two weeks, they are still the top team in the major leagues in terms of WOBA, which is my go-to uh, across-the-board measure of offensive production. Um, they're the best team still, even without Correa, without uh, George Springer. And part of the reason is because of players like Tyler White and Marwin Gonzalez, that they're just able to plug those players in. They're going to lose some production, but uh, you know they've got enough great hitters around them that they're, they've still been to the best off, offensive team in the major leagues. So uh, you know even a pitcher as solid as Marcus Stroman, it's not really a great matchup for him, much less a much lesser pitcher than Marcus Stroman. So uh, I see some more news coming across here, but I've got to head to break. So I'm going to save this one. It's not a big, big thing, but a little bit more A's news for you uh, when we come out of this break. So stick around and find out what it is. Quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, deep sleepers, training camp battles. These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. Get the Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package now at RotoExperts.com. Enter free radio at checkout for your special discount. 
Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and uh, I promised you a clean, fresh update on George Springer. I have one, but it's not, uh, well, it's fresh, but it's not all that clean, to be honest. Uh, uh, he uh, ran today, this according to uh, Mark Berman of Fox 26. Um, uh, so Springer ran today and will travel with the team, play once he gets a clean bill, bill of health. Um, so that sounds pretty nebulous to me. Uh, I would not be counting on George Springer this week. Uh, I guess uh, what I saw a couple days ago was maybe a little optimistic. Um, so uh, if I get anything more, I will certainly pass that along. But I also said before the break, I had a little bit of A's news, a little bit of fallout from that Alonzo trade. Uh, this, according to Susan Slusser of the uh, San Francisco Chronicle, that the A's will be calling back up Matt Olson. He's been shuttling back and forth between Oakland and Nashville. That's a very long shuttle, by the way. Uh, but Olson's going to join the A's on Tuesday. And Bob Melvin says this is Olson's time. This is via Twitter uh, from Susan Slusser. And that and this is really interesting. The Alonzo trade was as much about getting Matt Olson a, a spot to play in the lineup as it was about anything else. That makes a lot of sense because I have to say I thought that getting Boog Powell straight up for Alonzo was it was a light return. So they clearly highly motivated to give Matt Olson a chance. And I'm glad to see this. And look, don't get me wrong. I think even though he has slumped recently, that Alonzo is pretty much a must-start option given what he has done for the bulk of the season. I expect that to continue in Seattle. And by the way, Danny Valencia hit a home run just a little while ago for the Mariners, so he, he's made his statement uh, about the uh, Yadier Alonso trade. But back to Matt Olson, uh, he has had 60 plate, 60 plate appearances for the A's, again, going back and forth between the A's and, and AAA Nashville. He's hit only 196, but he's slugging 451. He's got four uh, four home runs, just one double. But again, that's over just 60 plate appearances. So he has a ton of power. He also walks a lot. So if you're in an OBP or a walks league, even with that 196 batting average, Olsen has an OBP of 317. That batting average should improve. The OBP could actually be quite good. And there's a lot of power there. He's hit 23 home runs in 79 games for Nashville this season. And he's managed to hit 272 there. Uh, I don't expect him to hit 272 going forward uh, as a member of the Oakland A's. But I do expect him to do a lot better than 196. Probably find the uh, happy medium somewhere there. If I could get uh, Olsen to hit around 230, 235 with, uh, let's say, 10 home runs the rest of the season, I feel like that's you know, uh, roughly a 30 home run pace for a full season. I feel like that's realistic for Olsen, especially given that he has already hit four home runs in just 60 plate appearances. I don't think he'll keep that going either. But a good, good power source uh, in your deep leagues, somebody to consider, give a little more emphasis to, like I said, in OBP leagues and uh, points leagues where walks count or maybe a category league where walks are a category. This is good and interesting news uh, on the flip side of that yonder Alonzo deal. So how about that? Uh, I have one other hitter from Saturday I wanted to uh, kind of uh, wedge in here 
uh, before we move on to some other things. Uh, I talked about Dusty Coleman and Tyler White being some deep league options, uh, going very well in, in some limited playing time, uh, but, but possibly much more playing time to come. I uh, could say the same thing about Daniel Nava. I mean, he's played a bit more this season. I've brought him up on the show from time to time because he's just really done very, very well against right-handers. Coming into today, Nava's batting 359 against righties. He's a good OBP guy, uh, walks a lot too, but he doesn't need the walks for the good OBP because he's just getting a lot of hits against against righties. And had a big game on Saturday at Colorado, three for five with his fourth home run year of the year and his first triple of the year. And the one caveat, I'll repeat it, I mentioned it in the first hour in regard to Aaron Altair going on the DL. For, for my money, uh, for a deep league, I am rooting for Daniel Nava to get lots of playing time because I just think he holds a lot more potential than either Cameron Perkins uh, or, for that matter, Hunsu Kim. Both Kim and, and uh, Nava, by the way, are in the Phillies lineup today because Nava's playing first base. I don't expect him to do that all that often, but it does show the willingness of Pete McCannon to get Nava's bat into the lineup against a righty. In today's case, it's the Rockies' Jeff Hoffman. But um, it's been a weird, weird uh, situation for the Phillies lately where Nick Williams is not playing every day. I don't really understand that. Uh, but maybe they're just giving uh, Hunsu Kim a, a look to see maybe what role he could play next year. Maybe same thing with Cameron Perkins. So you know, just looking at the recent patterns, I fear that Nava won't get the playing time that I wish he would against righties. But at the very minimum, it is something to track. And for this coming week, the Phillies, uh, they, they're only going to face four righties. It's a six-game schedule. They'll face Sean Newcomb when they go to Atlanta. They'll, they're scheduled to get Steven Matz when they play the Mets at home. So it's, you know, it's a good week to maybe in a deep league stash Nava, see how much playing time he gets against those four righties and, uh, and move forward accordingly uh, because he's just, I know it seems weird. Nava's been around a long time. He's never, he's never been a really huge fantasy asset, certainly in recent years. But uh, I think he, as much as I've, I've, you know, talked about him on this show, I mean, I still think uh, he's, uh, he's worth, uh, you know, worth uh, making a, a flyer, taking a flyer on him in some deeper leagues. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with it, <laughs> sticking with that story. So uh, anyway, speaking of schedules the week ahead, like the Phillies with their six-game schedule, a number of teams that it is going to pay for you to pay attention to their schedules. There are four of them that play only five games this week. One is the Braves. And as I mentioned in the first hour, that's impactful just generally, but especially because they've got two catchers in Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki who are having surprisingly good seasons. Suzuki, one of the best power-hitting catchers this year, believe it or not. And Flowers uh, coming through as a batting average and on-base percentage uh, breakout. Uh, the, and the problem is that they're both playing so well that neither one is really running away with the starting job, although lately it's been a little more Suzuki and a little less Tyler Flowers. But with a five-game week and two guys battling for playing time, it's bad for both of them. And a lot of owners right now have an incentive to look for a catcher because you got both Salvador Perez and Evan Gaddis 
on the disabled list. So that is one place where you'd be probably very tempted to look for a catcher replacement. And unless you're wanting to stash one of them, uh, you might as well avoid it until next week. Um, so that's the, the brave situation. And then the Rockies also with the five game schedule and all five games are on the road. So for me, that means no Gerardo Parra this week. Great overall numbers, but really, really skewed by the home numbers. Same thing for Mark Reynolds. Got to sit him this week. Uh, and uh, by the way, speaking of the Rockies, some news uh, related to them. DJ LeMahieu has been scratched from their lineup for today. And uh, he has a bruised triceps. So I don't know if that's going to be just a day-to-day thing for him, but that's going to make him a a little bit questionable for the coming week. And now that you're talking about a five-game schedule, if LeMahieu misses Tuesday, then you're down to four weeks. So maybe, maybe he just needs, you know, Monday, uh, the, the day off, just to rest, and, and LeMahieu's good to go uh, on Tuesday against the Indians. But, um, yeah, I, I would say if you have, especially the shallow league, if you have an alternative to LeMahieu, that's looking like a good idea there. But uh, any sort of fringy Rocky is somebody that, that you've got to avoid this coming week. The Red Sox have a five-game schedule, and the Rangers have a five-game schedule. And there's a number of dicey playing time situations there uh, for those two teams. Hanley Ramirez is out today. He's dealing with an oblique issue. So uh, if he's even day-to-day, I think you got to look for a Hanley Ramirez uh, replacement uh, for the coming week. And uh, as far as the Rangers go, probably Mike Napoli is, is going to be out of the question because when they've uh, – they, they uh, not only have a five-game schedule, but two of those games are at City Field, so they're going to lose the DH. So that just looks like Napoli's barely going to have a week at all. I would think Joey Gallo's probably going to be okay, and given that you have Joey Gallo probably for the home run power, I mean, he can <laughs> he can do some damage in three or four games anyway. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bench Gallo this week necessarily, unless it was a very shallow league or you're just very stacked at your, your corner infield. Uh, but I would sit Carlos Gomez. Because there was a report recently that the Rangers were going to give more looks to Drew Robinson. Uh, That is what they did on Saturday. So if Gomez misses a game or two, he's basically not really having a week. So these are all players that are are going to be impacted by a very short schedule. So just to repeat, the Braves, Rockies, Red Sox, and Rangers, all five-game schedules. Players on those teams, you need to take a very, very close look. So uh, a lot more to talk about here in terms of Week 19 from the pitching side. There are a number of two-start options who are available in a goodly number of leagues that might be tempting and might be worth it or might not. I'm going to break those pitchers down for you right after this break.
In 2016, Scott Engel predicted an impressive second season from Melvin Gordon. Jake Seeley recommended Jordan Howard. Bob McMahon forecasted a JHI breakthrough. George Kurtz saw a big year coming from Matt Ryan. And Joe Galena picked Rashard Matthews as one of his top sleepers. These predictions turned fantasy owners into champions, and the same crew returns this year. With more savvy calls in the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package at rotoexperts.com. Don't miss the calls that create winners. Register now and enter free radio at checkout for a special discount. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And as if on cue, it appears that Joey Gallo has just hit a monster home run. As I just talked about how if he only plays three or four games next week, he could still hit you a bunch of homers. Uh, from Mike Berardino of the uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press, he says the uh, the Twins say it went 438 feet. Uh, several people are saying uh, he probably broke stack cast with this homer. So Joey Gallo just doing the stuff that Joey Gallo does on a daily basis whenever he's in a lineup. Uh, but I want to talk about a few pitchers who are going to be in your lineup probably a couple times next week. Uh, looking ahead to some two-star pitchers. And by the way, the uh, Jim Finch two-star pitcher guide uh, just recently gone up on FanRag Sports. So certainly for the full range of pitchers every week, he includes every single projected two-star pitcher. I'm not going to go all over all of them. I'm just going over a select few here. But uh, check that out. Uh, but it's it's kind of an interesting week because there are a handful of pitchers who's kind of in that sweet spot that they're not, you know, widely universally available uh, because those pitchers generally are long shots and tend to hurt you more than they help you. Uh, you know, occasionally there's somebody who's, you know, a, uh, a Paul Black uh, Blackburn, for example, last week who just had amazing matchups. Um, but you knew he wasn't going to give you many strikeouts. So that's more the exception than the rule. But there are five who are kind of in the sweet spot of their own just enough that it's a, it's a reflection that they, they do have a, a decent chance of providing value, but they're available enough that you... If you check, they just might be there. Uh, Parker Bridwell, he's been a, a tough one to figure out. I mean, by all rights, he sh- probably should be in that almost universally unowned uh, bucket because uh, he's a very, very extreme fly ball pitcher, gives up a lot of home runs. But uh, for the most part, he's he's done pretty well. The weird part about Bridwell is he pitches in a park, uh, his home park, Angel Stadium, that you would think would be one of the best ones in the major leagues for masking some serious fly ball tendencies. And yet his success overwhelmingly has come on the road. So he's been a real head scratcher, but he does start off week 19 with a home start against the Orioles. I've really picked a lot on the Orioles the last couple of weeks. I think it all started when Blake Snell faced them and I said, there's very few teams that look like a good matchup for Blake Snell, but the, the Orioles are one of them, and, and Snell wound up having a good start against them. And uh, that same rule can apply to some other pitchers, particularly wild ones that need a very aggressive team to kind of go after some bad pitches. Now, unfortunately, the Orioles have, have done that all too much this year. But that's not Bridwell's deal at all. He's actually got really good control. But he does get the Orioles at home. Uh, that is pretty much the main reason why I would even look at Parker Bridwell this week. 
But then he gets a second start against the Mariners in Seattle. I don't think that the Mariners are a particularly good matchup, and especially now that they've added uh, Yonder Alonso to the lineup. Like I said, I expect Alonso to bounce back, be pretty good rest of season. Um, but Safeco Field, again, not a bad park for somebody like Bridwell to pitch in. But here for me is the kicker. This is the the tiebreaker, if you will. For that home start against the Orioles, Bridwell has pitched 34 innings at Angel Stadium. He has given up seven home runs there. So no park is really, truly safe for Parker Bridwell, even though his overall stats would suggest something a little different. So I would avoid him out of these uh, borderline options. He's probably the one. I, he's the one who's, I think, the most owned, and that he's the one I like the least. And the one I really, really like is Brent Suter. And this is another case where perception probably gets in the way of making a fair assessment of what Suter could do to help you this week. You know, because whereas with Bridwell, kind of the surface scan says, oh, well, he's got two good venues to pitch in. And uh, let's take a gamble on Parker Bridwell. Well, Suter just keeps getting strikeouts, even though his fastball averages around 86 miles an hour. (laughs) So... I don't know. I assume I'm not the only one who worries about this with Suter, but I just can't help thinking with every start, like this is the one where he just gets clobbered. This is the one where he doesn't strike anybody out. Uh, the results, start by start, have been a little uneven, but overall, they've been really good for Suter. Now, he faces the Twins in Minnesota and then has a home start against the Reds. That Reds one is the one that actually gives me some pause. Um, partly because it's Suter pitching at home but uh, at, at Miller Park. But he has not allowed a whole lot of damage in terms of extra base hits, in terms of home runs. He has an extremely low pull rate on fly balls. So I, you know, I, I'm not sure how he's doing it. I'm sure if I took a really long look at his heat maps, I might have a better idea. But the fact is he has been doing it. And I'm facing the Twins and the Reds. He's facing teams that respectively rank 23rd and 19th in WOBA against lefties. So, you know, it's not exactly like the Giants and the Padres, but it's two teams that are in the bottom half in terms of all-around production against left-handed pitchers. And just given what Suter has done on his own merits, I'd, I'd this is the guy I would target. I feel like this is kind of a, c- a controlled risk. I still feel like there's risk there. Maybe I'm exaggerating it. Uh, the, my perception of the risk, but I, I compared to Bridwell and some of the other pitchers uh, that I'm going to get to, I feel like this is like the most controlled risk, the the, the least uh, uh, severe risk out of the group. Trevor Cahill, I don't, I don't really know how to explain this since he has come over to the Royals. I mean, he's had two starts that were pretty bad. He's throwing only 58% of his pitches for strikes. I mean, maybe that shouldn't be a huge mystery to me because Cahill has had on-again, off-again control issues. Uh, He gets the White Sox, who don't hit righties very well at all, but he gets them at guaranteed rate field. And then he gets the Cardinals at home. So I'd probably take a pass on Cahill. He's already given up four home runs in just eight and two-thirds innings as a member of the Kansas City Royals. Uh, you know, he could be just fine here, but it just, 
with those two starts, and it's not like he was really tearing the world apart right before that either. He just really hasn't been quite the same since his DL stint. I still hold out hope for Cahill. I'd be highly reluctant to drop him, but I would not want to start him this coming week with the two starts. J.C. Ramirez, excuse me, J.C. Ramirez is another pitcher that's kind of in this no-man's-land category of not a must-start with two starts. He's kind of widely owned, but not to the degree where it's not worth at least checking waivers for him. He's, he's just in no-man's-land. And he, like Bridwell, he's got the same venues and matchups. But Ramirez, I, I, it's, it's just it's hard to pick a trend with so many of the, the streamable two-star pitchers, there's a thing. You know, it's it's a high fly ball rate that doesn't present a problem in certain venues. It's a high walk rate that doesn't preserve, present a problem against certain hyper-aggressive teams. You know, there's always like that Achilles heel that makes them short of being a must-star pitcher, but makes them a really good pickup in a week where they have good matchups, especially if there's two good matchups. I've given up on trying to figure out what that is with J.C. Ramirez because he's gone through periods this season where he's been a fly ball pitcher and more recently periods where he's been a ground ball pitcher over his last five starts. He has a 56% ground ball rate. He also has a 23% hard contact rate. So if you go on trend, that would seem to make Ramirez pretty safe to use against the Orioles and the Mariners this week. But he also has a 1.2 strikeout to walk ratio, which is horrific. Um, and maybe he just goes in the Andrew Kashner category of somebody who has strikeout rates, a strikeout rate and a walk rate that make you want to absolutely avoid him at all costs. And yet the results are there. I'd say the difference is just that Kashner has achieved those results with much more consistency. Ramirez has been brilliant at stretches and somebody you don't want to use at all in stretches. Um, he has not had good control lately. So that started to the Orioles, much like it did a couple weeks back for Blake Snell. Maybe that works in Ramirez's favor. So I, you know, it's really hard for me to have a definitive call on Ramirez. Uh, I would cer- I'll put this way though, in terms of rank ordering them, I would certainly prefer him to Parker Bridwell. I would certainly prefer him to Trevor Cahill because he's got at least some good trend on his side in terms of getting ground balls and soft contact in general, whereas Cahill has just been kind of a mess lately. But I would much, much rather, if he's available, go with Brent Suter um, because he's just been flat out good. Uh, so if Suter weren't available, I could see Ramirez being somebody who's got enough going for him to trust him with two starts, but only if Suter's unavailable. Uh, and then finally, there's Jordan Zimmerman, who's got the Pirates and the Twins. Pirates are, are a great matchup for him. Uh, the Twins, eh, they're, they're, they're sort of mediocre against lefties and righties. So maybe it's just a situation where Zimmerman faces a team that's that's full of righty hitters like the Pirates uh, at Pittsburgh, which uh, where Zimmerman's fly ball tendencies are not likely to get him in trouble. And maybe that's just enough to get Zimmerman through a two-start week, even though the Twins... Worry me a little bit. They're not a fearsome lineup, but I feel like to trust Zimmerman, you got to have a really, really good matchup. I think the Pirates are that. Um, but for me, it's kind of a push. I think I, I, I give Ramirez a slight edge over Zimmerman. I just think there's a little more implosion potential there, particularly in that twin start. But they're pretty equal 
pretty close to equal for me uh, in terms of how to prioritize for the two-start week ahead. So I hope that is helpful. I think anybody who's much less owned than any of those five pitchers, nobody really in that cohort that I would want to deal with. So I, I pretty much confine myself to those five. Anyway, time for a break. When I come back, take one final look at the in-game action here on this Sunday. Stick around. We'll be right back. It's the summer, but you can already feel the howl of the winter wind. You don't want to go to the beach. You want to break out that heavy coat and head for the stadium parking lot because nothing makes you feel warmer than football season. But you don't have to wait for the calendar to flip a few times at rotoexperts.com where fantasy football season has already started. The award-winning team at Roto Experts has you ready for the new campaign with the return of the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package for 2017. Packed with tons of in-depth insights from the industry's top experts, we get you fully prepared for a championship campaign with a deluxe draft package that includes projections, strategy articles, sleepers, busts, a cheat sheet generator, and so much more. And you're guaranteed additional access throughout the regular season. So put your gloves on now, even while it's hot outside, and get into mid-season form. Go to rotoexperts.com and register for the 2017 Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Enter code free radio at checkout for a very special discount. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, some interesting baseball going on out there uh, this Sunday afternoon. Maybe you've been watching it on uh, having it on and watching it while you're uh listening to the show here but uh, in case not or maybe if you're just uh checked into one game in particular uh the cardinals have really opened it up to, uh, against the reds in fact during the break i saw it was 11-3 it's now 13-3 so needless to say homer bailey knocked out of that one seems like it's been feast or famine for bailey uh this year uh, and it looks like uh, Adam Wainwright in his first start off the DL, settling down a bit after giving up that Votto uh, three-run homer in the first inning, although he does have five walks in this game. But Bailey, his final line, uh, 10 runs on 10 hits and four walks, the three strikeouts, and uh, a grand slam allowed to Jose Martinez. That's what really uh, cracked this thing open, uh, probably for good. So that's 13-3 right now. Cardinals... Uh, over the Reds, and um, also the uh, Pirates are up four to two on the Padres, and I'm zeroing in on this game in particular because I was very interested to see how Jamison Tyone would do. Uh, he's really struggled the last two starts, uh, big time, uh, and it's allowed two runs in this game to the Padres. Uh, and you know, granted, it's not the best test because the Padres are uh, one of the most strikeout-prone teams in the major leagues. Uh, but for whatever this is worth, Tyone over four innings has just given up the two runs and has seven strikeouts, uh, three hits allowed, two walks. So at the rate this is going, by far going to be his best start uh, over his last three. It looks like it should be a nice uh, comeback start for Jamison Tyone. Now, whether or not he can replicate that sort of result uh, against his upcoming uh, matchups remains to be seen. I mean, even at his best, Tyone isn't necessarily going to give you a whole 
ton of strikeouts. His next start, by the way, uh, is on Friday this coming week at Toronto. So that should be a little bit of a, of a tougher test um, and certainly a tougher venue for Jamison Tyone. And uh, the Mariners, I'd mentioned before that uh, Danny Valencia responded to the news of the Alonzo trade. I mean, probably not. Uh, I think I'm kidding about that. With a two-run home run, that is now 7 nothing. Mariners uh, over the Royals. This is the uh, Mariners' debut of Marco Gonzalez, who has no hitter going through one and two-thirds. So obviously that's uh, you know it's a way too early for a no-hit alert, but off to a decent enough start. And Danny Duffy, on the other hand, has pitched just two innings in that one and has already given up seven runs on five hits, three of what three of which are home runs. So the Valencia homer is just one of three two walks and three strikeouts. But in addition to the Valencia two-run homer, he's also given up a solo homer to Kyle Seeger. That's his 16th of the season. And a three-run homer to Nelson Cruz. That's his 23rd home run of the season. So a lot more scoring so far, uh, just uh, even these this handful of games. Uh, but a lot more to come. Some late afternoon games uh some night baseball action tonight with the uh, Dodgers and the Mets, Hunton Ryu and Steven Matz. So on that note, got to wrap it up here. But I will be back tomorrow. So I hope you can uh, join me for that show. And very excited about the guest I'm going to have on here tomorrow, Aaron Dolan, uh, who many of you I would think probably know from Twitter. And if you don't, go follow her. Aaron Dolan, she is funny. She is smart. She is the fiance of uh, Sean Doolittle. So uh, going to talk to her about uh, their recent move across the country. Uh, but really looking forward to that conversation. So that'll be tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern. Anyway, enjoy your Sunday baseball. Hope you all have a great, great day. And have fun setting lineups tonight. Be back tomorrow. Have a good one.